0: episode 50 of the movie brats podcast i am carter and joining me as always is jonathan how are you doing jonathan summer vacation
1: (laughs) yes i'm at my timeshare in saint pete beach florida so i'm just enjoying being in the sun and the beach and the pool
0: and summer movies starting to come out in theaters with crowds something that nine months ago we never (laughs) wrapped Hey, more than just Crowds in quotes.
1: (laughs) Yeah, but kind of crowds in quotes because every time I've been to a movie, there's been virtually no one there.
0: Yeah, unfortunately, that's the same for me. Although I think the movie we're talking about today definitely would be best with absolutely packed movie theater. I think I had four other people in the theater with me when I saw it.
1: Right, I had a few more than that. I saw it in IMAX, but I mean, they purposely still spread people out in the audience so it's not you like you want to be sitting you know really close to a stranger and see them jump so what (laughs) let's say what film we're reviewing
0: well we're talking about a quiet place part two we're going to give our impressions of that movie and then we will talk about our top five favorite sequels to conclude the episode and keeping with the theme of a quiet place being is part two is it a continuation or is it a sequel of a quiet place part one who can say um me to give well, the- I, I, well,
1: I, well, I was going to say, I'm really excited. Um, it, uh, there's Jeff Nichols who did Mud and Take yes. Shelter is doing a, Loving. A, a sequel or spinoff. Yeah, he's doing A Quiet Place, another another film. I, I don't know if it's going to kind of be like the Star Wars where there's like the official trilogy or the official parts and then there'll be spinoff movies. But I think he's doing kind of a spin-off movie of some kind.
0: Yes, I think it's set in the universe, but not necessarily about the the family that forms the sort of central story of both of the Quiet Place movies. Um, so A Quiet Place Part Two, directed by John Krasinski, who we best know as Jim from The Office, also directed the first installment. Uh, the movie stars Emily Blunt and Millicent Simmons, who returned from the first movie. And then Cillian Murphy, who's a new and Trent, who plays a very vital role in this one. Uh, it's about a family who must survive in a post-apocalyptic upstate New York inhabited by monstrous blind aliens who track down humans via an extremely acute sense of hearing. Uh, it originally premiered March 8, 2020, so literally right before the first sort of lockdown happened. Waited an entire year to release it in theaters. Uh, came out May 28, this year, 2021. A Metacritic score of 71, a Rotten Tomatoes score of 91, and hugely impressive a worldwide box office of 200 million dollars, which is by far the most uh, box office gross of any movie released uh, since movie theaters shut down over a year ago. So it's doing really well. Uh, so it wasn't packed with uh, me and Jonathan screenings, but it seems like at least some of the theaters are getting people out, up on their uh, or on their butts in a movie theater. So uh, you saw the first one in theaters, I did not. You are a noted horror expert. <laughs> How do you rate A Quiet Place Part Two, Jonathan?
1: Well, let me go back and say what I think of the first film. I saw the first film and it got very good reviews. Uh, it's rated PG-13 and I think it's one, the first one is one of the best PG-13 horror films ever. Now, that's kind of damning with faint praise because there's Mm -hmm. virtually no good PG-13 horror films. (laughs) Um, The other one that I think, the best one ever is Sam Raimi's Drag Me to Hell, which is just a, um, I I love that movie to death. But A Quiet Place, the first one, is just a lean, mean, 90-minute B-movie, monster movie that knows exactly what it is. It gets the job done. It's set pretty much in one location. And it's a film where... Silence is so key to the film. And what makes the first one so suspenseful are scenes where it's not that nothing's happening, but there's hardly any noise. And it was just very, very tense, uh, tense-filled. It was, it was, there was so much tension in the theater in the first film. The second one, it was okay. I think that everything that was so strong about the first film is like about cut in half. Of the sequel i don't think it's nearly as suspenseful i don't think it is nearly as emotionally uh inve- i wasn't as emotionally invested in it i feel like the fact that it's spread out there's more characters there's more locations it kind of lessens the impact of the film it kept my attention i think the opening 10 15 minutes is the best part of the very song. strong yeah and it's you know not really a spoiler if it's like you're going to see the new movie that you know the first film ends with John Krasinski dying and the film opens the second one with a flashback and I just it's like while I was watching it it was keeping my attention but it just reminded me it's like a problem with a lot of sequels it's kind of a lot like the first movie but it's just not as successful I was Mm -hmm. just like oh I remember in the first one there was this really good scene where this happened and then like they're kind of just doing the same thing again and it's like handled well but it just it's I just felt like this was uh, like I honestly would probably give the first one like four and a half out of five like I really think it's one of the stronger horror films in recent years and the sequel is like three out of five like I I was entertained enough but I just felt like there wasn't really a reason for it to exist and I also felt like this isn't going to give anything away but I really love how the first one just ends and it cuts the credits and you're like, Oh, and then <laughs> the way the second one ends, I went, Oh, this is it. And I just like, wait, the, this is supposed to be like this big emotional. It was very you sudden. Know, I was like, yeah. And I just was like, wait, this was supposed to be really like moving and like the climax of the movie. Like I was, you know, I don't, I, I don't mind a movie kind of ending kind of abruptly, but I just felt like it wasn't nearly as emotionally engaging as the first one but i mean it was fun enough what do you think of the two films
0: well the first one uh, is much clearer in what it's trying to do than the second one which is like you said it's just it it wouldn't exist without the first one it's not like john krasinski had like this great idea of you know a movie that's going to be super original like it exists you know to make money off of the first movie but in saying that I mean, it does sort of deliver what you want from the sequel to The Quiet Place in a lot of ways. It's got some really good moments with the sort of monsters who are... As I was watching it, I was like, this is very much like a sci-fi movie compared to a horror movie, the sequel in comparison to the first one. Would you agree with that? Well,
1: it's almost like the first one, it's one contained location and there's a lot of horror and tension about what's going to happen. And the second one it's almost building on the world, the quote unquote science yes. of what's happening. And so, yeah. I mean, it's still clearly a horror film, but yes. uh, it's more of I a post-apocalyptic
0: movie. While the first one was sort of like Alien and that it's a horror film set in space. So that was like a horror film set in this post-apocalyptic world. Well, this was a bit more like a post-apocalyptic movie and sort of dealing with, it. Was, I mean, there are a lot more characters for one. And the first one is literally just the family, right? It's been a minute since I've seen it
1: right and I just think that uh I just was disappointed in that it it didn't keep the tension of the first one I'm not saying that it couldn't have been a little larger and spread out like the sequel does but I just felt like it had some good set pieces and moments but it just it didn't have there wasn't like a chord of the movie like that was really strong it just felt like Uh, some good set pieces strung together and it just the first one was just so tight like it's right at 90 minutes and it was so lean and this one I mean it's just I mean the new one's like you know under 100 minutes Mm -hmm. you know it's a little longer than the first one but I just felt
0: like there's so much cross-cutting in it there's so much cross-cutting in the second movie where we've got like three storylines all happening at the same time Where that was a bit fudgy because I I felt like one of those things definitely should have taken much longer than some of the other things that were supposed to be happening at the same time. But I mean, the sort of big difference in this movie is the inclusion of the sort of new cast members, which Cillian Murphy is definitely the most impressive. And did you think he slotted well into the world of Quiet Place? Because I thought he was maybe the best part of the movie. I thought he was outstanding.
1: Yeah, I mean, and he has a horror you know, back you 28 know, days later, background, 28 days later. And, you know, he's been in um, a handful of horror films, but I, um, yeah, I just, I, it's one of those movies where while you're watching it, you're entertained enough and then it's over and you're like, Oh, okay. It didn't really, it just kind of didn't add up to much. And it just, I, I felt like it, it's kinda, not that it was ever really boring or it didn't keep my I didn't think it was ever boring. No, I just felt like when it was over, I just, when the first one was (laughs) over, I felt like that. (laughs) Well, the first one, I was like, this is, this is like a really tight B movie. And uh, the sequel, I was just, eh, it's, it's okay. Yeah. So would you, would you recommend
0: people who enjoyed the first one to see this one?
1: Yeah. But I certainly, if you weren't vaccinated like I wouldn't risk my life to
0: go (laughs) you're not gonna drive two hours and risk death to see a quiet place part two well it's also one of those where if you
1: see it you really should see it in a theater yes so yeah I'm sure Uh, it would definitely wouldn't have the same effect
0: paramount plus I think is going to release it uh in July sometime I think is the plan I think it's 45 days
1: I just think that uh, with a horror movie, it's always best when you can't control the volume and mm-hmm. you're not going to pause it. And uh, I also admire how, you know, I love Blood and Guts. I mean, we're going to get to some of my favorite sequels of all time are really gory and bloody. But I also admire horror films that are, uh, they suggest things and you don't really see too much. And it does that pretty artfully. And uh, I, I one thing that does bother me, and it actually... Uh, We're gonna be reviewing this uh, in the next episode in the Heights, very different films. But um, CGI monsters are not scary. CGI is not scary. I think the monsters look cool, but I just, whenever I see giant CGI things running across the screen, I just go, well, that's not there, that's fake. (laughs) I mean, there's good set pieces, but every time I just can't help but go, well, this isn't it. This is not real. I mean, it's like, well, I know it's that. also
0: kind of like an absurd monster. I mean, <laughs> like giant all arms can't see anything only hear stuff. It is very sort of like, I mean, it's a very specific sort of idea that it really needs to execute to get you into it because it is kind of absurd. The whole, <laughs> the whole plot right. of it.
1: But and I do in like the CGI yet, was... and it doesn't
0: help. Yeah. I mean, it's not that it's
1: like horrible cgi it's just that it's cgi and i'm like yes. that's not real but i do have to say i was listening to some interviews and the scene that's in the trailer where emily blunt and the children are driving in the car and then the bus starts creening down that was all real that yes. was actually a bus and she wasn't actually driving but like there is you know some real practical stunt work so well, that's cool well but, but like uh, you said
0: the first scene is the best scene of the movie probably and I mean, it seems like that's what the most attention was paid to was the sort of opening sequence. Like, I mean, it's really good, like how you get where everybody is. And it's, I mean, it's really sort of well directed and put together as a set piece. So, um, <laughs> I mean, the first scene was really good. I'm glad I got to see that in theaters. And
1: uh, I was also going to say that they come up, upon some people at, at a, uh, on the dock, and I thought that was kind of silly yes i didn't think that was very scary i, I, agree, <laughs> I agree with that
0: <laughs> like yeah. when it was happening I, didn't realize. I was like this is a bit ridiculous
1: yeah. yeah uh one of the i didn't realize until the end credits that uh scoot mcnary's in it who's like one of those actors that's in like oh
0: you didn't you didn't recognize him no oh i did as soon as i saw it i was like oh that's scoot McNary. that's the guy from arga
1: and i also don't want to give anything away about towards the end of the film but I always have a problem when you have, like, Oscar winners and Oscar nominees, like, show up in a movie for, like, 10 minutes, and you're like, <laughs> what, like, like I, I always had a problem with, uh, I mean, partially I had a problem. The main problem I have with The Road is uh, that, based on the Cormac McCarthy novel, is that it's one of the greatest novels ever, and I remember when they meet the old man on the road, and it's Robert Duvall, you don't go, oh, there's an old man on the road, you go, oh, that's Robert Duvall, <laughs> or, like, oh, his wife is Charlize Theron. It's like yeah. sometimes when someone's in a movie, you know, you don't get like, you know, I don't know. But I did think Cillian Murphy was good in it. And I, I think Emily Blunt is like one of our kind of oh, yeah. underrated actresses. And anyway, I, I wish that, she, like she's been in a number of solid films, but I wish that she um were in a few more, like like she's never been nominated for an Oscar. I wish she, she would like, hook up with some like really good auteurs like i would love to see her in like a david fincher or a you know uh a, uh a, a, you know just the, there's it's coen brothers film i like to see some like really like great director uh you know put, you know get her her first oscar nomination help her get her first oscar nominations but she's really she's one of the best things about the films too especially the first one
0: yeah i mean she has had a sort of interesting career it started off with the sort of uh devil Wears young victoria that's sort of like british costume drama thing she was in a lot to start with but yeah devil war's plot is definitely the first thing i saw her in and then it's been like a lot of comedies i mean yeah a lot of sci-fi yeah huntsman winters cario yeah
1: cario i mean she's but, some um, sherlock
0: gnomes <laughs> some, some really like duds yeah. in there as well
1: but girl with girl on a train also like, two
0: really big disney movies with mary poppins returns and jungle cruise so i imagine that right. that has taken up a lot of like the last four or five years for her. so yeah hopefully
1: well, one of my friends was saying that he saw some article or some news story about how emily Blunt is here to save movie theaters because she's in two of the hopefully biggest films of the summer you know quiet place part two and that jungle cruise film know so
0: jungle cruise has been in production for like literally five years so it's gonna be a miracle it ever gets released it's like that movie chaos walking which came out a few months ago like literally felt like it was in i felt i felt like i saw the first news for like dwayne johnson starring with emily Blunt jungle cruise in like 2015 so yeah (laughs) interested to see what that ends up being
1: there was a film that uh, I quite liked uh, called Profile that originally premiered, I think in February at the Berlin Film Festival in 2018 and didn't come out in the US until uh, like two months ago in 2021 Yeah, and nobody went to see it. But uh, but yeah, I, 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 I give a mild recommendation to A Quiet Place part two, but I think the first one, I would certainly say if you've not seen the first one, you it's one you it really out. want to see the first one before you see the second one, but just see the first film at least.
0: Yeah, I mean, I've, I think if you've seen the first one, the second one is probably worth seeing. It it delivers in terms of like good sort of moments of of uh, tension and some jump scares. It's got like a couple pretty good jump scares. There was one that really got me. I can't remember exactly what happened, but I felt like a like an idiot. I was like, oh, it totally got me right there. Uh, but no, I thought it was good. It obviously doesn't reach the heights of the first one. And it's much less focused and has less of a sort of solid idea of what it is than the first one. But I, mean, I think, you know, <laughs> what do you think John Krasinski going to do next as a director? He's only ever made two Quiet Place movies. Do you think he's going to like become a movie no. director? He's Those are
1: by. his third and fourth Oh, films. yeah, he did
0: the, the Promised Land one, didn't he? No. Oh, no. who did that?
1: No, Gus Van Sant directed that. Oh, no, that but he did a movie called The Hollers that has margot martindale and, oh and then and, yeah, yeah brief uh,
0: interviews with hideous men i forgot about that one
1: yeah it neither them. both of them got mixed reviews but uh yeah i mean by the i mean just from a quiet place like he is a solid uh filmmaker and i i like the fact that have you heard in the press that like he's pretty good friends with paul thomas anderson and during the pandemic uh Paul Thomas Anderson well knew because the film was you know had a premiere and it was going to come out. Paul Thomas Anderson, pretty early in the pandemic, said, Hey, John, uh, could I uh get a copy of part two? Can I see it, please? And he let him, uh, and uh, this John Krasinski was asking the studio if he could get a print to PTA, and the studio's like, Oh, yes, whatever PTA wants to do, whatever (laughs) he says, yes, you know, but uh. Yeah, and he shot it on film, which at least the first one he shot on film, that's random trivia. He's kind of like a, I guess... A, He's a purist. Yeah, <laughs> but anyway, so uh, we're going to go through now and pick... I'm not going to say that these are absolutely my five favorite, but I'm just saying these are... I'm doing a top five.
0: These are five of our favorite film sequels of all time. Well, I had a, I had a bit of a stipulation with mine. I didn't include Godfather Part Two because, I don't know, that's a bit different. And I also I think that like sort of dominates sequels in a way that I was like I just can't consider Godfather Part Two.
1: Is it almost like when we did our sports list and you said Raging Bull is like yeah it's it's like yeah like
0: it transcends the category to a certain extent. Well, Um,
1: I I'll have to say this. I would not put Godfather part two in my personal top five. It would be like way up there, but wow. like there. I mean, I love the Godfather films. I love them, but there's just other movies I like even more.
0: Yes. And it's sort of, like, you
1: know, like they're great. Like don't you have great films that like, I love this movie. It's a great film. There's just other movies. I like even more.
0: Well, that's all I feel about the Godfather part one, to be honest. Uh, has never done done it for me in the way Godfather Part II. And I, well, Citizen Kane is sort of similar. That like, I acknowledge it's incredible, but I'd rather watch <laughs> Lethal Weapon 1 <laughs> than Citizen Kane. Uh, so but also do, wh- the sort of other stipulation I did was that if it's like part of a franchise, um, I sort of thought about it differently. Like how The Dark Knight is technically the sequel to Batman Begins, but it's also sort of part of Batman. So I didn't really consider that as being a sequel in the same way as some other movies but it sequels. is it is a sequel yeah but i just i just sort of thought about it differently obviously see, other people I, will I make lists of their own and yeah. they can do whatever they want <laughs> see
1: the way i think of it is like i don't think this is a very good sequel but like quantum of solace is a sequel but i the don't think every workout. james yeah but i don't think like every james fawn film since dr no is a sequel they're part of the franchise though I know, but so are you saying that every every James Bond film after Dr. No is a sequel? I mean, that's where it gets very really blurry. <laughs> I know, but that's exactly what you're saying. Is I know, including but... Including things I, in a franchise.
0: Yes, it is. But I mean, it's like when thinking about Marvel movies. Like, is Captain America Winter Soldier really a sequel to Captain America 1? Or is it a sequel to Avengers? Like, I, I don't know. Obviously, Dark Knight is more well, when, a sequel to Batman <laughs> Begins than than the Marvel movies are a sequel to the ones that came before them. But I don't know. That's just how I was thinking. If about
1: you it. well, if you really want to be on the technicality, I think one of the <laughs> best film sequels of all time is Abbott and Costello Meet Frankenstein because it is a continuation of the last few Universal monster films where the monsters had meeting up, and it actually like continues. You know the monsters play it serious, and it's just like Abin Costello ended up <laughs> being in it now too. But um, anyway, it so in we the can universe. Just... Right? Yeah. Yeah. So okay, you wanted me to do mine, or you do yours first?
0: Let's start off with your your number five. Okay,
1: uh, my number five is a shot in the dark: the first Pink Panther sequel, ah. which uh, so the first Pink Panther came out in 1963 was directed by Blake Edwards, starred David Niven with Peter Sellers in a supporting role as Inspector Jacques Clouseau, the bumbling French inspector. And he was so beloved that they very quickly turned around and they made a sequel, just came out the next year in 1964, also directed by Blake Edwards. And did you know, one of the screenwriters William Peter Blatty, who went on to write the novel and screenplay of The Exorcist. How about that? Yeah, so um, A Shot in the Dark is the best of the Pink Panther franchise. Uh, I think that some of the later ones are hysterically funny. It's interesting, the next one didn't come out for 11 years. They had the one-two punch of 63, 64, and then they didn't have Return of the Pink Panther until 75. And there were actually, there was actually a film that came out between those, uh, starring Alan Arkin, called Inspector Clouseau, which Blake Edwards and Peter Sellers had nothing to do with, and I've never seen, and frankly, don't ever care to. Did Did you even know that? Alan Arkin played
0: Inspector Clouseau?
1: Yeah. Did you know that?
0: I had no, I had no idea.
1: Yeah. Have you seen uh, any of the original Pink Panther films?
0: I've seen the first one, which is notable in that Inspector Clouseau is not really the main character. It's David Niven's Right, character. he's a
1: supporting character.
0: So right. in *The Shot in the Dark*, he is the main character.
1: Right. Yeah, and all the subsequent films starring okay. Peter Sellers. And it's interesting. It's based on a play that was like had no connection to the Pink Panther original film because, like I said, came out.
0: <laughs> they rewrote yeah. it just to make it with
1: him. Right, and sixty-four is you know like a really amazing year for Peter Sellers because you know what else came out that year?
0: Was it Lolita? Dr. Strangelove?
1: Dr. Strangelove. Yeah, so that's like one of the greatest, uh, you know, yeah, 1964 is a shot one in of the dark greatest men. comedies of all time. Yeah, but A Shot in the Dark is just superb physical comedy. It's brilliantly directed, the use of screen space and editing. I mean, it's just, it's such a great, I mean, it's like one of the best films with visual comedy and slapstick since the silent era and the early comedy teams you know charlie chaplin buster keaton Laurel and hardy the marx brothers it's just so funny and uh i love like i said some of the later sequels but he got kind of old in them and Mm -hmm. it's almost like the later three stooges shorts you're like oh my god they're gonna hurt himself you know (laughs) like you get worried because they're like they're elderly but um yeah they're one of the funniest set pieces in the film is where he has to investigate at a nudist colony and he's walking around with a guitar in front of him and yeah it's a very funny movie i highly recommend it it's the best of the pink panther series so uh shot in the dark 1964 directed by blake edwards starring the great peter sellers
0: so for my first one i'm doing the sequel to number batman five. the movie yeah but my number five is batman returns i think is like sort of like the typical sequel that literally it has returns in the title so just for that i think it's got a sort of special rug on my sequels list um but i think batman returns is sort of what people think of now is like the uh michael keaton batman movie i know the jack nicholson joker in the first one obviously has a special sort of place in the pop culture pantheon but i mean danny devito is the penguin is like such a ridiculous over-the-top villain Oswald Cobblepot, and then Michelle Pfeiffer as Catwoman. That I mean, I think when people sort of think of the Michael Keaton Batman, this is the one that that sort of represents the best of that. And strangely enough, Michael Keaton like sort of is like the third lead role in this movie because I feel like Danny DeVito and Michelle Pfeiffer are very much the focus of this one, and then you even got Christopher Walken as like the ridiculous wealthy businessman um But I think the the Tim Burton Batman movies. Um, like they could not be more different than the Christopher Nolan ones while the Christopher Nolan one is very much focused on like the realism and it feeling like it's a world that you could live in. Uh, the Tim Burton Batman movies take the like uh, completely opposite approach by being in this like Gotham city that feels like it's like in the 1920s, but also like in the 1980s at the same time. Um, but I just love the aesthetic of this one. I feel like the Tim Burton Gotham city is like the true Gotham city. Um, while the the Nolan one is just like, I don't know, it feels like it could be any like just big city on the East Coast of the US. This one has like a very sort of comic book feel to it. You were going to say Well, Nolan
1: Nolan was basically making Heat, but with Batman and Joker.
0: Yeah, it's sort of them being superheroes is sort of like something they're sort of trying to avoid, honestly, in the Christopher Nolan ones by like making it as sort of realistic as possible. This one like totally... Uh, buys into like the campiness of it well michelle pfeiffer's Catwoman is just like completely outrageous i mean what do you think of batman returns jonathan i'm sure you've seen it
1: yeah i've seen both of them once i enjoyed them but i'm not a big comic book fan uh they're fine so i enjoyed for them. a comic I...
0: book movie for you do you like it when they sort of like lean into its campiness and the ridiculousness of it, like this or do you prefer the sort of christopher nolan uh man of steel the way dc is going now where they're Sort of trying to make it in sort of like the real world.
1: I frankly don't give a damn about any of about them. Any uh, of it? Like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, I it's you don't not like the Richard list, Donner Superman movies. Yeah, I do. And like they, they're kind of, I wouldn't say they're campy, but they, they know what they are. They're not trying to be super serious. They're, they're, that, what, what's so great about the original Superman is that. It's sincere, but it's not self-serious. Would you say that's a fair way to put it?
0: Yes, definitely.
1: And I think that, I mean, I really like, to me, the best comic book film of all time and one of the best sequels of all time is Sam Raimi's Spider-Man 2.
0: Oh, definitely. I agree with that.
1: That's another one where it's sincere, but it's fun. Like I rewatched just the scene a few days ago with Doc Ock in the os- hospital, and it's pure Sam Raimi with the his tentacles going. Where you around get the point his, of
0: view from the tentacle.
1: Yeah, and you have the nurse screaming and the cancer handle, yes. and she reaches for a saw. And so, yeah, I mean, I. But the Tim Burton films are. I mean, the thing I think that it's not an issue, but you said that you think that Batman Returns is the one that people think of. When they think of Michael Keaton's Batman, I disagree. I think that they much more think of the villains. And I think that also with the first film, it's like you almost forget Batman and Batman, the first, you know, Tim Burton, the Tim Burton's one, because the villains are so memorable. It's like I think of Joker and Catwoman and Penguin. And I was like, oh, which one? Oh, yeah, Michael Keaton's the Batman in those. It's like he's almost the. <laughs> Secondary. I mean, one of the things that's so good about The Dark Knight is I feel like Heath Ledger is just in it the perfect amount of time. He has great scenes, but he's not, the. I mean, not that, like, that you can have too much Jack Nicholson, but the first Batman that Tim Burton did, it's like he's really almost the lead of the film. I mean, well, he is. There as are my, some like,
0: moments in the first one I'm just like, this is ridiculous. I mean, the whole part where Jack Nicholson is like painting over the stuff at the museum, I have no time for that.
1: Oh, and he marches in. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm but. just like, this is
0: terrible. <laughs> so, I mean, obviously, there are a lot of parts in that where Jack Nicholson is like really good and he does get the Joker stuff fantastically well. And it, also, that movie is very influential for sort of big movie stars wanting to be villains because the villain part can be more fun and more memorable than the lead role. And that really sort of takes its next level in Batman Returns with two villains. (laughs) But, uh, well,
1: I I wouldn't say necessarily that's the start of big movie stars wanting to be villains. I think you would more say, where do you have before that? Of big movie stars wanting to be in big blockbuster, you know comic book action movies like you wouldn't necessarily before that have Jack Nicholson in a comic book movie you know the, it was the start of that I mean
0: well Superman's really there's... the start of that because you have Gene Hackman in Superman one and Ned right. Beatty yeah he just passed away recently right. is also in yeah, Superman
1: right I was going to say another honorable mention one of uh, Ned Beatty's greatest performances Toy Story 3 he plays the teddy bear the villainous <laughs> teddy bear <clears throat> But um, yeah,
0: uh, we spent enough time on Batman Batman Returns. Returns. You move on to your number four.
1: Well, connected to what I was talking about, my number four is Evil Dead 2, directed by Sam Raimi. So in my opinion, he's done two of the best film sequels of all time, uh, Spider-Man 2 and Evil Dead 2. Have you seen any of the Evil Dead movies?
0: I've seen Evil Dead 2. I've seen parts of the first one. But I've heard that sort of the first 20 minutes of Evil Dead 2 is like a sort of remake of the first one. Is that at all correct? The first, like, five minutes. Okay, so it's even less. (laughs) It's like, yeah,
1: I adore the Evil Dead movies. I love them so much. They're disgusting. Very low budget. Yeah, yeah. And the first one was made, it came out in 81, wasn't released theatrically until 83, and was outrageous and disgusting, and was just just so much cinematic bravado. And the second one is like one of the greatest horror comedies of all time. The first one is, you know, legit horror film with some really sick black humor. And the sequel is just superb. It's (laughs) one of those movies that if you like that type of movie, you'll love it. And if it's not your cup of tea, you just won't like it. But I, few movies make me happier Than uh, the original Evil Dead films. I mean, I don't think Army of Darkness is like a great film. It's a Mm -hmm. lot of fun, but Evil Dead Two. I love the first two Evil Dead movies. I I love the first one being like nasty and really, you know, outrageous, and the second one
0: is too. But um, the second the second one one is like completely insane. Is is the first one like that? (laughs) Or is it? I mean,
1: it's important that. Well, the first one is outrageous, but it's not as Looney Tunes and Three Stooges as yeah. the second and the third one are. I mean, in the first one, though, instead of having stunt doubles in in credits, they have fake shimps because in some of the last Three Stooges shorts, they would have a obviously much younger uh person, shimp, shimp in his, yeah, so they would have him like run across the screen with his back to the camera, and go. Hey. And it was like, it's like almost as bad as uh, Bella Lugosi being replaced in Plan 9. Uh, but yeah, I, I love Evil Dead movies so much. They're, they're just, they're so ridiculous. There's so much kind of cinematic gusto to it. I mean, I just love when Bruce Campbell is fighting with his own hand and he has to cut it off and it's running around the room. <laughs> it's just crazy, but I love it. It's one of the greatest horror comedies of all time. Uh I love it. I love it so much.
0: So that's what I most remember, remember from Evil Dead 2 is Bruce Campbell, just like, just like absolutely owning the entire movie. He's in like basically all of it. He gives like one of the craziest performances you've ever seen, but I feel like it's sort of supposed to be that way. Right. (laughs) And it's also a film that
1: is, you know how people say there's movies that, oh, it never lets up. That's a movie that from the opening, the movie's like, 83 84 minutes it's it's pretty short i mean it is like just like hopped up on you know it's like the movie is attached to jumper cables it is just so alive and it's never boring and never slows down for a second yeah so it's not for everyone but i adore evil dead 2
0: 1987 directed by sam raimi it seems like it'd be a very good midnight screening uh Right. <laughs> Which I, I haven't had the privilege, but I have seen it a couple times and it's, it's insane. Uh, so my number four sequel uh, sort of, he's going to make another appearance later on this, the director, is Aliens, directed by James Cameron from 1986. Um, this is sort of one of those classic sequels where it like takes a complete sort of different turn than the first movie. And that the first one is very much like a haunted house horror movie in space where it's very it's very claustrophobic and it's very much like the set it's like you were saying about quiet place one like it's very much contained in a sort of single space while aliens is just uh, like complete action movie
1: (laughs) yeah ridley scott said that he wanted to basically make a texas the texas chainsaw massacre in outer space with the first film
0: yes So so it's it's very claustrophobic it's very sort of contained in this one setting Well, aliens as it's literally the only difference in the title is the letter S, but the plural is very key because there are a hell of a lot of aliens in this one, or they just have to deal with the first one in the first movie. And this one sort of, it sort of seems like a lot of James Cameron movies after this sort of take the same sort of like frame where you've got like the Marines out in outer space. I mean, it's very much feels like Avatar. When, now that you've seen Avatar, you're like, oh, this is like a lot of stuff he already did in Aliens. But Aliens just executes it so much better. And I mean, it does. it's really good with like the uh, the sort of like crew that you have in a lot of movies where you get to know each sort of member of the crew and what they do. And you've got like the perfect sort of like corporate scumbag, Paul Reiser, I feel like every sort of corporate scumbag in sci-fi movies since then is just sort of like a retread of what Paul Reiser does in this one. Um, uh, do you prefer Alien or Aliens? Which one? The first one of the sequel. I'm a
1: huge horror fan. So I, I have to give the edge to the first one, but I love both of them. And Aliens is probably in my top 10 best sequels. I mean, it's wh- it's like right on the cusp of being in my top five. I, I don't know if you listened to it. I think you actually texted it to me. Um, Tarantino did a podcast episode with Edgar Wright a mm-hmm. few months ago where they're talking about movie going experiences And uh, Tarantino talked about seeing Aliens opening day as one of the greatest movie experiences because they loved the first one. And then it was James Cameron who had Coming off Terminator. The first, yeah. And and they were so excited and that it actually exceeded their expectations. And they were (laughs) like already so incredibly, like they were overhyping it. Like they were worried that they were going to be, you know, disappointed because of how- good they thought it was going to be but they didn't want to be disappointed and they said it exceeded their expectations yeah it's still technically a horror film science fiction film but it's one of the greatest action films ever
0: yeah. Well, and it it takes the sort of stuff that was good in the first movie and redoes it in a different way. Like how you get Ash as the android in the first one, you get Bishop as the android and the second one, who's more of like you know an action star android compared to Ash, who was just like an asshole who was conspiring against you in uh, favor of the corporation. Um, but this is also really influential in having like a female lead as an action star, where Sigourney Weaver doesn't really become like the lead in Alien until, like, the last sort of third of the movie. She's sort of just part of the ensemble before that, while in Alien, she's, like, very much like the star from the beginning of it. Um, I've never seen Alien 3. You've you've seen that, right?
1: Yes. That is David Fincher's directorial (laughs) debut, and it's terrible, but he didn't get final cut, and it was really messed with. I actually quite enjoy the fourth one that is directed by the guy who did Amelie. Really? He directed, yeah. Oh, shit. Yeah. Yeah. Um as one known. Jean-Pierre Junet, is that right? Yeah. Yeah, and his frequent actor who's in a lot of his movies is in it. Yeah. Um but yeah, Aliens is way up there for me. I do think that uh, I was listening to a podcast and they were talking about the first movie. Like Sigourney Weaver was like not known. I mean, it was yeah. like basically her first film and when he saw it, the guy on the podcast said that when he saw the movie, he was like, "Oh, well, she's not going to make it very far." And then like <laughs> a character dies another character dies like oh well like and then he was like shocked that like the woman that she was the last one standing the... i know but that's what you know that's why casting is so uh important but yeah the um yeah aliens has uh who else is in it bill paxton, bill paxton
0: michael bean uh yeah lance hendrickson plays uh, the yeah. android bishop yeah, I have to say, I really do not like. I really don't
1: like Titanic and Avatar, but because of the first two Terminator films and Aliens, he is a director. Like I will absolutely go see the av- all of the Avatar sequels because I have a <laughs> lot of respect <laughs> for James Cameron. Just and as, as a Avatar. tribute. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he is one of the most innovative. He hasn't made and a ton No, his first, you know what his first film is? A Piranha 2,
0: right? Yeah, The
1: Spawning. Yeah. But he did, he did like,
0: did a lot of special effects before that, right? Was sort of his thing.
1: I'm not sure. I know that he's kind of, uh, you know, part of the Roger Corman group. Yeah. Uh,
0: I I think he did like art design and stuff like that. That's like one of his big things, he like sketches a lot.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So I'm going to go to my number three uh my number three is another dead film i Ooh. have George A. romero's dawn of the dead Ooh. which is the second in his uh six part dead series it's what's the, the first trilogy, one trilogy night of the living dead 1968 black and white film really low budget one, right right and the second one is still low budget but it was certainly a larger budget and it in color and third one day of the dead 85 and then they cut 20 years uh, to Land of the Dead in 2005. But I uh, Dawn of the Dead is one of the greatest horror films of all time. It's the best zombie film of all time. It's Romero's masterpiece. It follows the trajectory of the zombie apocalypse. At this point, the zombies have really gone wild. And it's about a troop of four that barricade themselves inside a shopping mall. And it is a satire on consumerism where you see the mindless zombies wandering through the shopping mall. (laughs) And it's exciting. It's gory. It's funny. It's shocking. It's satiric. I love it. Have you seen it?
0: No, I haven't. I've seen the remake. Uh, I really I think, like
1: the remake, but the remake has like zero political uh, or yeah. social commentary. It's just a really good, scary, really gory zombie movie. I think that's one of the better remakes uh, uh, in recent years, and it's this is really damning of faint praise, but I think it's Zack Snyder's best film of what I've seen <laughs> of his film.
0: But, well, it's uh, it's just a great idea with guys stuck in or people stuck in a shopping mall during a zombie apocalypse. I mean, it is a great sort of idea for a movie.
1: Right. Um, so you really should see the uh, original.
0: Dawn you should. Of the Dead. I should uh, should see the first one right before seeing the the sequel. Have Would you, you ever seen
1: Night? Have you ever seen Night of Living Dead? Never seen that. That's like one of the like top five most famous horror films of all time. You know,
0: one of the most famous
1: independent movies of all time as well. Right. One of the greatest directorial debuts. Yeah.
0: Yeah. You don't have to,
1: but like you just should see Night of the Living Dead
0: because it's so, great too. So it's not necessary to have seen the first one to see Dawn of the Dead. It's, it's not like, no, are there the, characters who are in both of them?
1: Of the six films, none of them have any of the same characters. There are no direct sequels except the last one, Survival of the Dead, has uh, some references to the previous one, Diary of the Dead. Uh, and interestingly, Diary of the Dead, the fifth one goes back to the first night, even though it's set in the present. Like all the first four went uh-huh. in, in order of like society for the uh, collapsing. Apocalypse. Right. But the F- Diary of the Dead, which is a found footage one, goes back to the original night. But yeah, I I I, I love I really like them all except the last one's really bad. Survival <laughs> of the dead. Um, but uh, Dawn of the Dead is great 70s horror movie in a decade full of great horror films as great gory special effects I mean Romero said himself that he never really understood people finding it like super scary like the first one's supposed to be scary mm-hmm. he said the second one is almost like a comic book like the zombies have like kind of a greenish grayish tinge to their skin and it's you know I unless you were really young I don't think you would really be scared by it it's really gory I mean mm-hmm. it's still uh, it's mainly the first uh, 20 minutes and the last 20 minutes of the movie. Uh, but there's some serious gore in that movie. Like people getting bitten in their intestines coming out. I love it. It's sort of what you Don't expect even. from a zombie movie. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, the, yeah. And it's just, but it has. But
0: obviously extremely influential on like the, the genre, right? Right. If you ask a lot of horror
1: directors, you know, in the last 40 years, what are your favorite horror films? they'll mention Dawn of the Dead, probably. And Evil Dead, you know, mm-hmm. those series. So uh, 1978, 10 years after Night of the Living Dead in 68, there's Dawn of the Dead, one of the greatest sequels. So pretty good
0: gap. Sequels. Yeah. Uh, so my number three, three? Uh, sort of uh, very important to the birth of the sort of modern action franchise, Lethal Weapon 2, directed by Richard Donner. Have you seen any of the Lethal Weapon films, Jonathan? Seen the first one, I think that's the only one I've seen. The second one sort of takes everything that was in the first one and just ramps it up a bit and introduces Joe Pesci. So so in a lot of ways, it is uh, sort of what we expect from the modern sequel in that it just sort of runs it back from the first one, but just adds a little sort of different thing. For me, the greatest action movie villains of all time the South African ambassador who hides behind his diplomatic immunity to sell drugs and commit murder. There's hardly any better movie villains than racist South Africans. It, it's just a very easy person to hate. And this, uh, Lethal Weapon, I mean, you have 48 hours and stuff like that, but this is like, sort of like the apotheosis of the buddy, <laughs> buddy cop genre, the Lethal Weapon series. Um, and this one, I mean, just every, everything you want from an action movie. It's very funny with Joe Pesci's presence. Danny Glover and Mel Gibson have incredible chemistry. I mean, Richard Donner directed the Superman movies. He's sort of like a classic sort of summer blockbuster director. He, it's, you know, he's not Terrence Malick, but he could make a very fun movie. And uh, Lethal Weapon Also Creed, did The
1: also Omen know. and The Goonies. The Goonies. Also did The, the Omen. Omen, yeah yeah and he's 91 years old and is set to direct the uh fifth lethal weapon film with the two original <laughs> no yeah. stop <laughs> yeah that no serious be true.
0: oh my god
1: he's he's 91 years old uh, How, what Richard is like, the
0: oldest m- person to direct a movie ever is that a, i'm sure Clayne eastwood well, is gonna aspire to break that record someday
1: well there's the guy that was uh, uh what was his name uh Manuel, de, oh, I'll, I can't even remember his name, but he lived to be 106 and was directing movies right up to his death. Good lord! Well, he directed a film with um, Jean Monroe. Uh, what's her name? The French actress. Oh, that, Jean
0: Moreau, uh, the one who's in yeah. Jules at Gym. And he, he directed and a se-
1: and he directed a sequel to Belle de Jour with the original male lead for uh, a different actress. <laughs> really? Uh, I haven't heard uh, about, about this guy at all. Yeah. Yeah, he uh, he lived to be 100. I remember, like, Clint Eastwood was in an interview, like, 10 years ago, when he was, like, 80, and someone asked, like, how long do you think he'll keep directing? He's like, well, there's that man in Argentina that's 102, he's still going, you know.
0: So, Clint um, is thinking about it. He's got the record on oh, his right. mind. How about that? Hey, Lenny
1: Riefenstahl lived to be, like, 101, and she was directing, you know, Documentary. going scuba diving. Yeah, so
0: you know that's that's a live reaction of the podcast well well, george
1: (laughs) well george miller was almost 70 when he directed fury road and he's 75 he's got another one coming out
0: they're just going to start production Uh pretty soon
1: right but lethal weapon 2
0: before mel gibson got canceled he's still very very charming uh very athletic leading role in an action movie um, I highly recommend the Lethal Weapon series. I think it's outstanding. The fourth one is is not good, but the original trilogy I think stands up to any of the great action movie trilogies like Die Hard. Uh,
1: John, Wick. do you think the first one is the best? Or you actually think the second one is better?
0: Well, the second one's better as like an action movie in a franchise. The first one is better as like an idea for a movie. And that is, it's a great idea for a movie. I mean, Shane Black wrote the script and it's, you know, basically just like a guy who's about to retire teams up with like a suicidal ex green beret. But I mean, <laughs> but the second one just sort of takes the good things of the first one and ramps it up. So the first one as like an original movie is better because it's like a very original idea for a movie. Um, but the sequel as like an action movie is better. Um, and it's, I mean, it's, it's got the, the great South African villains. I mean, the villains in the first one are fantastic. Gary Busey, the other guy, but uh, just would being say, sort of yeah. ex-army maybe, people selling yeah. heroin is not as good as South, South Africans selling drugs.
1: So would you perhaps phrase it that the first Lethal Weapon film is the best film and Lethal Weapon 2 is the best Lethal Weapon film, maybe?
0: No, I think that's actually a very good way to phrase it.
1: I think that actually works really well.
0: And Shane Black did not write the second one. So you think of Lethal Weapon, you think of Shane Black. So just the fact that he wrote the script for the first one makes it iconic in a different sort of way. And apparently he wrote the script for the second one and it was going to be like (laughs) ridiculously violent. So they just ended up giving him a story credit. Um,
1: Well, my number two connects to your Uh, previous pick because the pick you just did because my number two is The Road Warrior the second Mad Max movie which yep and I love to me the Mad Max franchise is the best film series of all time all four of the films are good I mean Thunderdome is the the, the it's really elevated
0: by Fury Road
1: yeah I mean The Road Warrior and Fury Road are both two of the best sequels of all time. They're two of the best action films of all time. I mean, honestly, like, they might be, like, two of the best action film, like, top five action films of all time. Yeah. Uh, But The Road Warrior is my favorite of the... It's just... I I remember Guillermo del Toro said when he saw it for the first time, he said it, it, like, ripped his brain apart. Like, (laughs) it, it just, like, he was so overwhelmed and, like, blown away by the movie. And it's just it's pure cinema there's not a lot of dialogue and you know Fury Road had a lot of uh practical effects like a lot of it was done without CGI but this was 100% done (laughs) without CGI because it was you know came out 40 years ago this year 1981 uh it's just it's it's electrifying I I taught it uh a number of times now because I do it for Australia I taught international films uh four different classes and I watched it again. I showed it on campus at the end of the semester and it's just so awesome. It's just, the, it, it just, it makes me, it's just exhilarating. Uh, what, what do you think? You've, you've seen all four of them, right?
0: Yes. I mean, Mad Max 2 is like about as stripped down of a movie as you could possibly imagine. It's only 96 minutes. It's like Fury Road is like basically the story is like there and back that's like essentially what the road warrior is too they're just like going someplace and people are chasing after them and trying to kill them is basically the whole movie
1: Um, yeah and I mean Fury Road is just like insane like I I just I also love about um, Steven Soderbergh said in an interview where he was just heaping praise on Fury Road and he says there's two things I don't understand about Fury Road. One, how many people didn't die making it, and two, how they're still not shooting it. And he said, <laughs> and it's my job to know. I'm a director. It's my job to know these answers. And um, I just, and it's so cool that George Miller is the same guy who directed the. Babe sequel and produced the first one and directed the Happy Feet films. He's mm-hmm. just like this really lovely, <laughs> cheerful guy. And he makes these like punk rock, you know, people, you know, riding around and, you know, the desert and motorcycles and souped up cars. It only just, made I, like eight got, movies, right? Yeah. He's done Lorenzo's Oil and The Witches of Eastwick. Um, and I just, I, I I remember I saw Fury Road with a big group of friends and a family friend was sitting Uh, right next to me and more than once kind of just talking to himself under his breath watching Fury Road he went this is just my fantasy this is just my fantasy (laughs) and like it's like I wouldn't actually want to live in the world of Mad Max but it's just it It I just it makes me a lot I mean it just I love it so much The, the Mad Max franchise to me is the best film franchise of all time and I like, you don't even know how excited I am for Furious, uh, the prequel, with Anya Taylor-Joy mm-hmm. playing Charlie also. character.
0: But yeah, it's I sort just... of like the opposite of how a Quiet Place was much smaller and more focused than A Quiet Place 2. I feel like Mad Max 2 is a lot more focused than the first one, which is sort of just like, it's sort of hard to follow at points, Mad Max 1. It's been a while since I've seen it, but... Um, well you're the just first sort of like in really... the world of this apocalyptic Australia and it's not really focused in the same sort of way as Mad Max 2
1: it's like it's it's not really post-apocalyptic it's like getting apocalyptic yeah <laughs> in the yeah. first one and <laughs> yes it's, and there's actually you know characters sitting in a room talking which is yes. there's virtually none of them in any of the other Mad Max movies uh I still really like the first one it still has great car chases but the the sequels are like pure action they yes. are just like they're I mean that's one of the things sometimes sequels can be exhausting because they're just like they just there's too much stuff but in <laughs> uh the the good ones it's like they take they're almost like they boil down like what made the first one good and they yes. don't have to they dispense with the background and the, the fat setup and it's like right yeah, like the well, like the Evil Dead 2, I mean, The Road Warrior basically summarizes the first film in like three minutes, and it's like, and then he's driving on the road now, and he's back, and, <laughs> and you, you don't really need to have seen the first film to see The Road Warrior, even though no. I highly recommend seeing the first one. Um, well, but yeah, it's been road a while Warrior. since
0: I've seen the first one, but I remember it being a lot slower than the second one. Um, and like you well, mentioned people talking in rooms I mean the second one is like extremely fast It's like one of the sort of yeah. most Fast-paced movies you could possibly imagine But right. uh,
1: And also and, Mel Gibson and, and isn't necessarily not,
0: yeah. The focus for the first one for A while from what I remember Right
1: he's. Uh, it's like one of the It's like a movie where there's Characters it's almost like the Like an alien where like he Becomes the yes. star of the film by the end of it
0: Yes that's yeah. pretty much Exactly what happens but yeah. so you would say an improvement on the first one Mad max
1: too yeah I, I like the i would give the first one four stars i'd give road warrior and fury road five out of five like i bow down we're not worthy <laughs> yeah. we're not worthy
0: and some then of thunder the greatest Stone of all time like three and a half yeah i've never seen three thunder and, though a, actually
1: yeah oh yeah it's fun i mean it's 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 the only pg 13 that's the one with, uh, with tina turner tina,
0: yeah tina turner <laughs>
1: yeah. um
0: but uh anyway what's your number two so my number two, the second James Cameron installment is Terminator 2, uh, Judgment Day, which I like. One of the
1: best films that came out the year I was born. Yes. I years like old it this year.
0: much more than Terminator 1, which I find to have aged not nearly as well as the second one. And I mean, you no, know, it's... In a lot of ways it's like Mad Max to Mad Max 2 where the first one is like a good idea and the second one, they just like totally perfect the idea and (laughs) like totally make it. And a lot like Lethal Weapon 2, it's like, oh, let's just add something else. They bring in a second Terminator and he fights the first Terminator. So it's sort of like the perfect sequel in that way where they just bring in another Terminator. It's like, what do we do? Oh, let's just add another one. But it's also like one of the sleekest action movies you can imagine. It's like so well-directed and there are some like sequences in it that are just absolutely perfect. Uh, like there's this incredible scene at like an arcade where you're not sure if Arnold Schwarzenegger is the good guy or the bad guy yet. And it like reveals itself during the scene in such a spectacular way where we where watch stuff like that. And you're like, James Cameron is a truly talented special filmmaker. And then <laughs> it's sad to see him spending 15 years on the avatar sequel. So it better blow our minds. Um, but terminator 2 very influential as an action movie and as a sequel and it came out what like six years after the first one and he'd made like 84 the abyss. yeah so he made aliens and then the abyss between those um and it's it's like the ultimate Schwarzenegger movie as well like it, it uh gets sort of across how absurd Schwarzenegger is sort of like as an actor where like in some movies, like Commando or something like that, or, you know, Kindergarten Cop, he's just supposed to be like a person in the world. And you're like, this is preposterous. (laughs) He's like a monster. And so uh, Terminator 2 very much captures like the ludicrousness of Schwarzenegger just as like a, a person. And I mean, it's hard to imagine him just like as a regular guy after you've seen him as the Terminator, because it's sort of like the perfect role for him where he doesn't have to talk a lot and his accent sort of makes sense in a weird way. Um and terminator 2 is really good with the uh, sort of continuing the action role for a uh, female that he sort of starts with in aliens where you get linda hamilton kind of like completely changing the character uh from the first terminator movie where she's like being chased and like is sort of helpless in the first one and the second one she like turns it on the terminators and the parts where she's in the mental asylum in terminator 2 are like absolutely incredible um what do you think of terminator 2 jonathan
1: I like the first one a little more.
0: Really, what do you think? It's like more focused. It's like I, a better idea. They're both
1: they're both great. I taught an action film class, and I did Road Warrior and Fury Road, and I did Terminator One and Two. Um, there's like I, I don't really have any criticisms of the second film. I just I think that the first film is just so original. It is, and yeah. I'm I admire. Uh, and it's like really I mean it's not like you know evil dead and I living dead low budget but it's like people forget how low budget the first oh, one yeah. was yes um and I just I think that it has um I admire you can tell there's like almost Roger Corman like roots to it like it has Dick Miller he plays the gun shop owner you know yeah. and it's there's just um
0: but that's like why I, it doesn't age great for me is you can tell how low budget it is but i mean it makes it more of an achievement for james cameron I, there's no doubt about that but you know just 30 years later it does feel very old or almost 40 years now
1: well i mean what it's interesting that uh the cgi and t2 actually like really it holds, holds up. up like the whole yeah I mean there's like it's funny you look at stuff that came out like 10 years later like you look at uh, like the Matrix sequels and yeah. like the Mummy films and it's like this looks awful like how does this <laughs> like they look like computer. and then like a decade earlier they had you know Jurassic Park and T2 you're like no that, that still looks really good. Well it uses um, it
0: so sparingly and, and it's in and all the budget seems too. like it went to it well yeah yes there are Yeah, and sometimes you can yeah. really see the practical effects like the the bad one in the second movie sort of like has a malleable metal that like allows him to be shot and to like recover and there's a few scenes where you can like totally tell the bullet holes are just like stitched onto his uniform but i
1: would prefer that to the big completely cgi monsters in oh yeah place
0: yeah (laughs) yeah
1: (laughs) i mean um but in the first one there's just
0: so much of that there's just like uh, you can sort of see the scene where he's like
1: he's in front of the mirror and he's like it's like a totally fake head yes you remember yeah (laughs) but i still love that i mean i i i i kind of it's like i've i like don't have any major criticisms of the second film i just there's there's something about like the same thing with me liking alien a little bit more it's just the originals are just something about the original
0: original. yeah and like i can only imagine like actually seeing those in theaters how much it would have blown your mind to have seen terminator one like just someone who's born after the sequel came out you know, I've always I've seen both of them where both of them has have existed. So it's just Terminator Two right. just seems better. It seems more sort of like of my era than the first one.
1: Well, what you need to do is go back in time and get yourself to be born <laughs> earlier so you That's can have exactly. seen the original release. <laughs> right. Well, uh, so do you want me to reveal my number one? Your greatest sequel of all time. Right. So. The greatest film sequel of all now. I love Godfather Part Two. It's not number one. I it's high on my list. Uh, but I think for me, the best film sequel of all time is Bride of Frankenstein. One of the originals. Yeah, 1935, uh, directed by the original uh director of Frankenstein, James Whale. It uh so Dracula and Frankenstein both came out in 31, 90 years old this year and both wow. wonderful films but flawed they're early sound films they're both partially based on stage adaptations uh you know they're both based on novels but they're also mm-hmm. based on stage adaptations of those novels so really? they can be kind of creaky especially dracula dracula Are they i
0: mean shot sort of like it's a stage performance like a, a stable camera and stuff like that
1: well, especially Dracula, there are chunks of that movie. And the movies are like, you know, they're like 70 minutes. Like they're short movies. Yeah. Um, but especially Dracula, there are scenes where you're like watching people stand in a room and talk loudly because the microphones didn't pick up very well <laughs> yeah. early earlier. Um, it's like if you look at some early sound films, like in the late 20s and early 30s, like there'll be newspapers and they'll be soaping, they'll be like wet because they would be crinkling too much near the microphone mm-hmm. you know, like the coconuts the first Marx Brothers film there's a part where he's holding a paper and it's just dripping wet <laughs> because the would have been too loud but uh I mean this <laughs> is what uh Singing in the Rain is about you yeah know, where they have but um I but Bride of Frankenstein is it's funny it's heartbreaking it's boris karloff's best performance i mean the original is wonderful but it's not perfect i mean it's 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 you know one of it's a classic but Breda frankenstein is just kind of flawless it, and uh Elsa what Lancaster does plays. what does it add from the first movie Well, it's one, like you're talking about like what qualifies as a sequel. Like this movie literally picks up where the first one ended. Like the first one ends with him, you know, the burning windmill and the second one opens with the smoldering, Windmill, and he comes out from the water in the mo- in the moat at the bottom uh-huh. of the windmill. And uh, interestingly I was going to say, Elsa Lancaster plays the titular Bride of Frankenstein, who doesn't show up until the last ten minutes of the movie and is barely in the movie. And she's in the very opening of the movie. There's a little prologue where she plays Mary Shelley, huh. the author of the original novel. And um, yeah, it's just. James Wells was gay and there's these homosexual undertones to it there's also this Christian imagery and it's just it's so moving and it's funny and there's so much kind of subtext to it and it's just a wonderful monster movie the look of the Bride of Frankenstein with her shock of black hair with the white stripes going through Mm -hmm. looking like electrical currents and You know him you know saying you know we belong dead (laughs) at the end of the movie it's just you know that i mean the last 10 minutes of the movie where frankenstein's monster meets the bride it's just like movies don't get better than that to me it's just it's so magical and it's i mean i grew up loving the classic comedies and the old universal monster films. Those are the two things that got me into old movies when I was young. And, you know, I saw pretty much all of the classic, you know, Frankenstein Dracula, The Wolfman, The Mummy. Um, but Bride of Frankenstein, I think is truly a masterpiece. It's the best of all those movies. And I love a lot of them, but it's the one that holds up the best. Like it's, you know, there's some of those movies where you go, there's so much good about it, but it's kind of creaky. And this doesn't, that's kind of dated Bride Mm -hmm. of Frankenstein is like remarkably fresh. So have you ever actually seen it?
0: Mm -mm. No, I've only Uh seen the spoof of it. Young Frankenstein right so there's probably, a, there's probably right. a lot of jokes in young frankenstein that go over my head having not seen the original source material
1: right have you seen the original frankenstein even
0: no i've only seen the scene where uh he's like looking at the flower with the little girl and then like accidentally knocks her into the lake
1: well he picks her up and throws her. okay in that's what because it he is. doesn't realize like it, that she's going to drown you know he, yes with it's his, sort his of like hair, lenny
0: and yeah. uh, of mice and men
1: Right. Bride of Frankenstein, I just think is uh, a remarkable movie. And what was interesting is that, you know, they made Dracula and Frankenstein 31, and then they had the Mummy and the Invisible Man, like boom, boom, they came out with so many of these movies. Dracula's Daughter and James Whale was like, I don't want to do a Frankenstein, another Frankenstein movie. I'm not interested. I mean, it's interesting that people know him for horror films, but he did like very few. Like he did many more musicals and dramas, mm-hmm. but he directed Frankenstein, The Invisible Man, a movie called The Old Dark House that's really good. Uh, but Bride of Frankenstein, and basically, he told the studio, okay, I'll do. A sequel if you let me do what I want and so mm-hmm. they basically let him alone and made it you know you know queer and weird and so it's know, very it's much like an all-tour
0: sort of movie
1: yeah as much as it could be in the old yeah. Hollywood system but uh yeah I mean there's like I said there's this homosexual subtext to the movie because you have Dr. Frankenstein and he uh gets with Dr. Pretorius and these two men create life And uh, Dr. Pretorius is very kind of outrageous and, you know, fey. And he, uh, I remember on the, uh, Gilbert Gottfried said that uh, the actor who played Dr. Pretorius would sit on the set. And he was obviously gay in real life. He would sit and knit on set behind the scenes a lot of time. Then he referred to himself as that knitting bitch. (laughs) <laughs> that was funny, but, um, yeah, but there's, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a great classic movie. It's one of the best horror films of all time. It's in my top five horror films. It's my favorite film sequel. So Bride of Frankenstein, 1935,
0: James Whale. Wow. So what was the gap between that one and the first one in terms of, of years? Four years, 31 to 35. Okay. So more than I thought. So for my number one sequel of all time, it came out nine years after the original film uh it is before sunset directed by richard Linklater, sequel to before sunrise and like i've sort of been saying or like you've been saying about some of the uh sequels that just sort of boil down what makes the original great and sort of just focuses on that is that uh, before sunrise the like best scenes are just where the two main characters are walking around and talking And the second one is literally just that the entire movie pretty much in real time where you just get the two leads uh, who met each other for one day in Vienna nine years before just sort of walking around Paris talking about their experience in life in the nine years between the two movies. And it's just sort of like the best walking and talking movie you could think of where I, it's not like I can even remember the specific things they discussed, but just while you're watching it, it all just feels like so real and you're so riveted by it. And it's only 80 minutes, so it's not a very long movie and not a ton happens in it, but just it's so riveting, just like the interplay between the two leads. And I think they had a decent amount of influence on the script, um, which Richard- Yeah, they, the,
1: the two uh, sequels are credited to- uh, Julie Delpy, Ethan Hawke, and Hawking, Ethan Richard Linklater. Interestingly, they were all nominated for both sequels for best adapted screenplay Because, <laughs> because of it's based
0: on characters in yeah. the first movie. Yeah,
1: and 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 uh, the movie is just so deeply romantic. It's yes. so it's one of the most romantic movies ever. It's just it makes <laughs> yeah. your heart sing. It's in Paris, it just, it, it like <laughs> yeah, but like, and and not to give it away, if people haven't seen it. It's one of the best movie endings ever. I think. Oh,
0: it's incredible, and it yeah. and it happens it happened suddenly but it's like it couldn't have ended any other way and it just feels so natural as you're watching it it's one of the like sort of most naturalistic realistic movies you can think of uh yeah it's very talky
1: but it's but it feels so real
0: yes and it really makes really good use of like extended takes um to sort of emphasize the realism like you very much feel like you're walking with them and you know when it does cut it'll be like oh a bike rider comes by and it cuts the bike rider like you're sort of there and you take notice of the thing so it's just I mean Richard Linklater is one of my favorite working directors and it seems like he tries to sort of do a different thing with like the medium of film and time in a lot of his different movies obviously boyhood is a pretty good good example of that he filmed it over like 15 years or whatever and this one is just like such a great examination of like things happening in real time and you get sort of like a deadline at the beginning of the movie he uh, Ethan Hawke's character needs to make his flight so you're like very aware of the clock and they keep sort of reminding you of time passing while you're watching it it just makes really good use of of the medium of film and that it takes place in the you're very aware of like the running times of movies as you're watching them. So it just sort of plays with time in a very interesting way. And that's something Linklater does throughout his career. But I mean, the two lead performances, Ethan Hawk and Julie Delpier are really, really outstanding. And I mean, the, the third one from the movie Before Midnight is one of my favorite third movies uh, in a trilogy of all time. And
1: I think I, it get the series gets better and better. I love all of them, yeah. but I, I, I think I like the third one the best of all of them.
0: I think I might as well but it's one of those things where like figures out what it is (laughs) with each new movie and it's and it sort of reveals more about the previous movie so he's made them every nine years uh so if it keeps going on the same track we'll have another one in 2023 I'm not expecting it but
1: 2022 just next year
0: oh would it be so
1: it seems probably not gonna get one No. Uh, but, uh, well, so Before Midnight should be your number one sequel then, if you say it's the best.
0: But that's where I come with the sequels, where a sequel I feel like is the second one. But I, I mean, a sequel is any one that comes after the first, but I, I also think yeah. of sequels as being the second one. Uh, but I don't know if I do okay. like Before Midnight more than Before Sunset. I mean, because, I mean, I kind of like them equally. Where Before Midnight is so sort of perfect of as an examination of like a marriage and where people are in like over the hill between 40 and 50. And before sunset, it's just like a, like, as you said, it's just like a fantastic romance movie set in Paris, two people sort of figuring out that they love each other as the movie goes on. And it's a great ending. I mean, it's one of the great endings of all time. Um, so don't be questioned by my list. I can make it however I want.
1: <laughs> well, I, I love the series and uh, I, I certainly like the sequels. But um, do we want to mention a few honorable mentions? A lot of ones that you had on your list. I had on my honorable mentions: Aliens, Terminator 2. We mentioned Godfather Part Two. Would you know? It's kind of like in its own category, even though, like I said, it would be in my top ten certainly. But it's it, I didn't put it in my top five uh, before I think sunset. Twenty eight
0: weeks later, the sequel to Twenty Eight Days Later is pretty good. Yeah,
1: I, I think it's even better than the first one. It has a higher Metacritic rating. I think people don't not that. Well, that's one of those ones where like either. the
0: first one is just such a great idea that yeah
1: the second one's like a better horror film though it's like it's like really gruesome and uh the scene where the woman's tied down and uh she has her eyes gouged out um (laughs) uh but uh i'll just mention um the raid 2 i really really like um i also really like um toy story 3 which i mentioned before ned Beatty passed away uh Uh, Toy Story 2 and 3 but especially Toy Story 3 I think is one of the best animated films of the previous decade so do you have any other honorable mentions? Uh, The Four
0: Musketeers the sequel to Richard Lester's Three Musketeers I think is really good I think that's sort of forgotten really fun action movies or Richard Lester's Three Musketeers it's basically just the second half of the book the first movie is like the first half of the book but uh, really good Faye Dunaway as Milady De Winter uh it's a very fun movie. You get Michael York as uh as D'Artagnan. Uh big fan of Die Hard 2. I think I think that's a great action movie. One of my favorite movie kills of all time, where John McClane stabs the guy in the eye with an icicle. Uh let's see. I think Back to the Future Part 2 is really smart sort of commentary on the first one. Uh
1: I think people consider that the weakest of the
0: three, though. Yeah, I mean it It probably is for the but I think the part where he goes back to So the third one's
1: the best, Carter. The third <laughs> I, think the, one's the I best.
0: think the part where he goes back to 1955 that the sequel is really, really good where he's uh, sort of influencing the stuff from the first movie in a sort of underhanded kind of way. Uh, I don't know. I can't really think of too many others. I'm um, not a huge I fan really... of the Star Wars sequels and then I'm just not a huge fan of that series. Uh, so I think a lot of people would say that um, Empire Strikes Back is one of the greatest ever, but I don't have a lot of time right.
1: for it. Uh, the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly? Oh,
0: uh, well, for a few dollars more, it's also fantastic. The second one. Right. So um, yeah, that one actually I, one the, pretty close.
1: One of the best meta sequels of all time is Gremlins 2, the new batch, which is basically constantly asking, why is this movie existing? Really? Uh, I've never what, actually seen yeah. uh,
0: Gremlins, the original one.
1: Have you seen either of them? Mm-mm. Oh, they're a lot of fun. Um, also, uh, one uh, comedy that's better than your first one, Adam's Family Values. Really? Uh, the best The best part is uh, Christina Ricci playing Wednesday Adams going to camp. <laughs> and Yes, yeah, it's, it's very funny. He yeah, has a great cast. Uh, Raul Julia as Gomez, Angelica Houston as Morticia, Christopher Lloyd as Uncle Fester, Christina Ricci as Wednesday. The sequel has um Joan Cusack playing a woman who falls in love with Uncle Fester but really plans to just murder him and take his money I think um, I vaguely
0: remember seeing that on TNT sometime I, yeah. I, I feel like um, I haven't seen either of those movies all the way through
1: I really like I mentioned a bunch of horror films um I think Rob Zombie's best film is The Devil's Rejects which is a sequel to his film House of a Thousand Corpses. Um, I, I think Jackass number two is really funny. Um, uh, if you count it, uh, Skyfall, I think, is one of the best, you know, of the recent James Bond movies, if you can count that as a sequel, you know, debating what a sequel is. Um, and then also, I'll just say, I really like the uh, Planet of the Apes recent tri- prequel trilogy. Uh, which one is that? Battle? Uh, well, there's Rise of the Planet of the Apes, and then there is... Uh,
0: I know the and third Clancy one is Apes. war.
1: Yeah, I think they're all like the, the the first one's pretty good and then the sequels are like shockingly good and they're shockingly dark and like yeah. adult. Have you seen all three of them? No, I've uh, seen
0: the second one. That's one of Gary Oldman. Uh right, the third yeah. one is the with third... Woody Harrelson. I haven't seen that. Yeah,
1: it's it's like really dark. It's like apocalypse <laughs> really? I mean it's like yeah, he's like wearing war mask, you know, like war paint oh, and his like bald head. But uh yeah so those are some sequels so uh did, what no let's just say do you, with your list all five of mine a shot in the dark evil dead 2 dawn of the dead the road warrior Bride of frankenstein i think they're all better than the original
0: i think i think that's the case for mine you disagree with terminator 2 and aliens um but but, but, but it, you would say they're it, pretty it, close I, I
1: love them all
0: that they're very yeah, close yeah. if not better
1: uh, yeah like I love Evil Dead 1 and 2 both um I actually think uh, I'll take that I think I may even say I like Evil Dead the first one more because it's just really? like it's the most pure horror film but I love them both I mean it's like why, why even just pick you know they're both there and they're
0: both great like <laughs> you don't have to choose you can love all of them right
1: all right. Well, those are our best uh, favorite, our best favorite film sequels, <laughs> our most and, uh, favorite
0: film sequels.
1: Yeah. <laughs> uh, Quiet Place Part Two uh, is not one of the greatest film sequels of all time, but it's uh, fun enough.
0: I think. no, I think I think, I like think three movies. out of five is a pretty accurate representation of what it is.
1: Right. It's not the bright. It's not Bright of Frankenstein or Dawn no. of the Dead or Evil <laughs> Dead Two. Those are better horror sequels.
0: All right. So. hopefully you go see a movie in theaters pretty soon um thank you for listening uh we will be back with y'all next time